Father, I'm so grateful for Bishop Sam and for the relationship uh, for many years that we've had with the Shira Diocese. God, we're just grateful for the work that they're doing and God, for the ways in which uh, we have learned from them, the ways in which uh, Sam has made me a better pastor. God, I'm just, I'm really grateful. I pray that you would bless them and all the challenges ahead um, and be with us, God, now as we open your word. Give us delight and joy in you as we do so. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's probably a bad idea to uh, make a major life decision uh, during a pandemic. Like, none of, us, none of us were our best. And, like, I knew this, and, like, Kelly and I even said this to one another. I've, like, told other people, like, asking for advice, like, don't do anything drastic right now. Uh, none of us are thinking clearly. And then Kelly and I bought a house. Um, and... So, you know, we, we don't listen to our own advice all the time, but it, we've seen God's hand in that, and, it, you know, we truly feel his blessings, all that, yada, yada, yada. But now I, now I have, like, a brand new list of projects. The old house, we'd had everything, you know, we just we lived there long enough, we checked enough boxes, like it was, but now we have a new, a new set of projects. Like, like for example, uh, in our new bathroom on the wall is painted this, this phrase, today I will choose Joy. Hmm. What do you think about that phrase? Like, on the, on the one hand, I, I love it. Like, and we have way more agency on our quest for joy than we sometimes give ourselves credit for. So, yeah, today I choose joy. But how's that, how's that going for you? It's not that easy, is it? And, and as someone who's like spent my entire life dealing with, with mild depression and, and more recently with, with anxiety, like to just be able to say, today I choose joy, it's like I really need to paint that wall, okay? I mean, it kind of, it infuriates me because it's not that easy. And here, let me just make it a little bit worse because choose joy, it's not just a popular phrase for self-help decor, which is like a new market, I guess. We have self-help decor. Um, it's not just a, a popular phrase for that. It's also a command. God commands us to rejoice, to find our joy in him. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, joy is an essential outcome of your life. So today I choose joy, right? Right? And so when Paul says these words in chapter 4, verse 4, let me read the first part of it again. He says, rejoice in the Lord sometimes, or when you feel like it, right? No, he says always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Those words sound about as helpful as a bathroom wall, don't they, for some of us? Because the reality is, like, we live in an age of anxiety and depression. I mean, so much has been written, like, if you've seen any of the studies of the ways those things have skyrocketed over the last decade and how much more this past year, many of us feel anxious and or sad much of the time. And so we, we, we read Paul's words and we're like, well, okay, good for you, Paul. Good for you. 
But like, what did Paul have to be anxious about? Like, the world was so much simpler back then, wasn't it? What's Paul's problem? Actually, interestingly enough, there are some scholars who refer to the first century Greco-Roman Empire as an age of anxiety. Because think about it, like, low life expectancy, uh, there was, you know, mind-blowing injustice, unbelievable poverty, there were regular plagues, not just, you know, once every hundred years, but like regular plagues, uh, and famines, and wars, and everything else, right? Think about it. And then you add to that, for Christians, marginalization and persecution was on the rise. I mean, Paul is writing this from prison. He's writing these words from prison because he follows Jesus. So yeah, Paul, it's really easy, right? What does Paul know about any of this? Rejoice always, never be anxious, blah, 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 right? We think, oh, it's so hard for us. Like, believe me, if it's hard for us, it was harder for them. And still, Paul says, rejoice. Rejoice. And so the follow-up question for us, at least for me, is, okay, well, Paul, fine. Okay, you, you understand how hard it is, and yet you, through, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are giving us this command. So how? Tell me how, Paul. Tell me, I need to know how, right? Every, and it, like, show us, right? How do we rejoice when we don't feel like it? I think he'd answer that question like this. You may not be able to choose joy, but you can choose habits of joy. I think that's what he shows us in this text. You may not be able to just choose joy, right? But you can choose habits of joy. So if you haven't already, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. But before we get to these habits of joy, there's three of them, by the way. We're going we're to talk through them in just a moment. Three things here in particular, I think, that he's pointing to. But before we get to the how, let's take a look at the what. Like, what exactly is Paul commanding us here? Well, look again at, at verse 4. And so, obviously, he commands us to rejoice. That's really clear. At all times, right? Everywhere. He says it twice. He actually says it multiple times throughout this letter. Rejoice. He keeps, he keeps commanding us to rejoice. He, to find our joy in God, essentially. He also commands us not to be anxious about anything, which is a pretty huge task. Although if you think about it, it's very similar to what Jesus commanded in the Gospels, right? Jesus said, look at the birds, look at the flowers, what are they worried about? Besides, who of you, can, by worrying, can solve anything, Jesus says. Jesus commands the same thing. And I find it interesting here that Paul commands us, do you, do you notice this as well? Paul commands us to be reasonable. Like, let your, let your reasonableness, other translations might have graciousness or gentleness, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So, sort, of, sort of like he's saying, like, you know, stop losing your mind, people. Like, stop, stop panicking, be level-headed, and let the world see it. You see, the quest for joy isn't purely individual. It isn't purely individual. And so the world, what Paul is saying here is what the world should be able to look at Christians and see us responding differently to crisis, to, to criticism, to attack, to disappointment, to failure, 
when, when junk happens and your life feels like you're freaking out, when, when, you're, when you're like literally 30 seconds from getting up to preach and your iPad starts doing an update. And then you have to go back to the booth and find these notes, which I haven't even looked at. So um, it's the same stuff, but it's like, anyway, so if you see, but I'm not, you know what? I'm going to rejoice, people. It's okay. It's all right. I can learn how to use paper again. It's fine. It's fine. But the world, the world, it's still updating, by the way. I'm hoping it finishes by second service. Um, the world should be able to look at Christians and see us responding differently. And I tell you what, this last year, I look at our track record and I'm a little, I mean, people, it's not been great. crisis, criticism, attack, disappointment. Like when, when everybody else is freaking out, Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. A non-anxious presence. That's what the church should be. Which means we shouldn't, we shouldn't jump on bandwagons. We don't jump on conclusions. We don't get sucked in by conspiracies. We're not gullible. We don't retaliate. We're not reactionary. We don't panic. We don't run for the hills. Right, church? Right? When everyone else is anxious, uptight, angry, or afraid, we rejoice. Okay, so how? How do we do that? Well, just stop worrying so much. Just, just tell yourself, stop being so anxious all the time, right? That works, doesn't it? Yeah, you've tried that. Some of you have tried that. It, doesn't, it makes it worse, actually, the more you tell yourself, stop it. It doesn't work. You have to replace your anxious habits with better ones. And I think we see right here three daily habits of joy. Three daily habits of joy. If you want to be a non-anxious presence in your world, in your family, at work or school, habit number one is tell God what you need. Tell God what you need. Instead of scrambling for what you need, instead of panicking for what you need, or about how broken our world is, Paul says, tell God what you need. Look at, look at verse five. Verse five, Paul says again, the Lord is at hand. It's an important phrase. We'll go back to that in a minute too. But do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he starts off, like, Jesus is near. Like, the Lord is at hand. So, like, what are you anxious about? He sees, he knows, he hears, he cares. He's not far away. And so instead of worrying, pray. Tell God what you need. God, I, I need help with my family. And if there's, if there's one area that makes me worry the most, it's, it's my kids, right? And so... You better believe that's the number one thing I pray about. This should be true in every area of our lives. To be able to say, God, I need your help with this situation at work, right? Or, or school or, or whatever it is. My, my health or this friend's health or my temptations or whatever it is. Like just, sometimes we think prayer has to be so fancy, right? Like just tell God. That's what Paul says. He says it three different ways, right? With prayer, supplication, making requests. Like three times in this one verse, he says, just tell God what you need. Don't you hate sermons where the application is pray more and you'll feel better? 
I do. Those are the worst. The reality, I mean, it just sounds so boring. It's like, ah, come on, give us something better than that. I don't want to do that. But like, that's literally what God tells us to do. I mean, he basically says, pray more and you'll feel better. We could do a whole lot worse, couldn't we? If you are an anxious person, but not a prayerful person, what's your plan? So much is, is written today about the importance of mindfulness, right? You've probably heard some of this or read some of this. And I mean, I, and I agree, like mindfulness, that's the idea of like being, just like pausing for a moment and being aware of what you're feeling emotionally, physically, like just, just knowing how to name your feelings, right? Be able to recognize them. I mean, I think that's, that's really important. We know that that is good for you to know what you're feeling. And prayer, prayer is upward mindfulness, it's taking mindfulness, but instead of processing alone, right, which can become a doom loop of my own internal workings, instead of processing alone, you process with a God who is near, who made you and loves you. You name your feelings and you ask for his help. And it reminds us who's actually in charge of our needs. And it's not, it's not you. In fact, according to one brain science expert, even praying 12 minutes a day for eight weeks. It's not a big task, right? 12 minutes a day for eight weeks. Like literally puts new grooves into your brain patterns. Like you can see it visibly on a brain scan. Replacing, rewiring anxious patterns for joyful ones. Prayer does that. So when, when are you going to pray? Ah, well, I pray sporadically well, then your joy is going to be sporadic. Yeah, but Nathan, I'm not, I'm not very good at prayer. It's like, well, first of all, nobody is. But if that's your excuse, you're also not going to be very good at joy. Fighting anxiety without prayer is like training for a marathon without running. It's not going to work. Make a plan right now to build this habit into your life to practice these things. It's like the old hymn. I I love this. The old hymn says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You may not be able to choose joy, but you can choose to pray. Tell God what you need. Habit number two. Habit number two, thank him for what he has done. I love the simplicity of this. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Like, that's, that's pretty good advice, isn't it? Tell him what you need and remind yourself and celebrate the many things that God has done to you. Say, say thank you to him and frankly, say thank you to anyone all the time, everywhere, right? To build gratitude into your life. Look, look again what Paul says, right? He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. I mean, I just love even the way Paul phrases that. Like, as you bring your needs to God, you bring them with thanksgiving. One resource that I found particularly helpful in my own, just dealing with my own junk, right? And my own anxiety, depression, whatever. It's, it's a little book called Finding Quiet. 
And it's written by a pretty unusual individual, uh, not, a, not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but actually he's a philosopher. He's a professor, uh, J.P. Moreland is his name. He's a professor at, at Talbot Seminary. He's written lots of books, um, loves Jesus, but not, not the discipline that he's studied in by any means. Uh, and, and yet, he has spent his entire life with sometimes very debilitating anxiety and depression. And so he kind of, he writes this book, not, not as a clinician, but as, as someone who's just sort of like, this is what's helping me right now. It's basically, that's what the book is. And yes, there, there are times when we need professional therapy, we need medication for these things. Yes, there are times for that. And he talks about that in, in his book. But he also spends a surprising amount of time talking about the kind of prayer we just discussed and how important that is and rewiring our brains as well as gratitude. In fact, the section on gratitude in the book is probably my favorite, favorite part. He quotes UC Davis professor Robert Emmons, who says this, his gratitude has one of the strongest links to mental health and satisfaction with life of any personality trait, more so than even optimism, hope, or compassion. Grateful people experience higher levels of positive emotions such as joy, enthusiasm, love, happiness, and optimism, and gratitude as a discipline. I love even that phrase. Gratitude as a discipline protects us from the destructive impulses of envy, resentment, greed, and bitterness. You may not be able to choose joy, but you can choose to say thank you. And gratitude changes you. And I can tell you for me personally, like this has been one of the most transforming parts in my own practice. My own discipline is just practicing gratitude, obsessing about gratitude as much as I can, as often as I can. And so let me, let me tell you how, how I go about this. And this isn't saying this is going to help you, nor is it saying that I've somehow got it figured out. But as I'm on this journey, I just want to be practical. So these, these are a few of the things. I might give you some ideas of what might help you. And so again, this is a big one for me personally. It's changed my life. So number, number one, and probably most important, is I spend the first five minutes of my day just think, saying thank you to Jesus. It's my cup of coffee. It's me and God. And I try to spend at least five minutes of my prayer time in the morning, first of all, just saying thank you for whatever comes to mind. Uh, and, and particularly if, if there's an area that's stressing me out about my day, like I already feel it coming, I try to, I try to be grateful around it, if that makes sense. So for example, if I'm stressed about a conversation I, I have to have later on that day, I'd say, well, thank God, thank you for this person. Thank you for the role that I have in their life. Thank you that this is something you've asked me to do today. So help me, right? Just kind of wrapping it in gratitude. Um, another thing, another thing I often do, uh, Kelly and I, we, we pray together before bed every night. That's something that's just part of that. Often that's gratitude. Those are short prayers because we're usually really tired. Um, but there's gratitude a part of that. Another, another new discipline we added a couple years ago, she and I, maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, it's just so dumb. I'm almost embarrassed to say it. But our, our, we have a watch alarm that goes off at 1230 every day. Wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, doesn't matter. And simply all that does is like for three seconds, it reminds me that God is real. And I just say thank you for something. That's it. And then I just go about the rest of my day. Um, that's just one silly little habit that we, that we do. Uh, dinner as a family can be a big part of that. I know many of us like do highs and lows maybe with your kids and stuff. And we do something, we do that, but it's like, we, like instead of highs, like what are you grateful for? Right? Instead of a passive experience, it's something we're, we're sharing joy together and giving, giving gratitude to the person who gave us the high. Does that make sense? What are, what are we thankful for? We don't do that every day, but sometimes. Sabbath is another big part of this. 
Like if you want to build gratitude into your life, you need to have a day of rest. Like Sabbath is a day of savoring. It's, it's built for gratitude. And so to have a day of, of worship and rest, of community, of doing things that actually fill you, so much of our life can be draining. Like Sabbath builds this practice. I know others find like a gratitude journal to be really helpful. There's other things. Another, I mean, this is, and this is so silly, but a couple years ago, uh, probably more than that now, I just decided that I'm going to say thank you to anyone everywhere that I see serving me. And I just, I've tried to just do that. And so, if, you know, if I see somebody stocking the shelves at a grocery store and I'm just walking by, I just say thank you. Or if I'm in a public bathroom and somebody's in there changing the paper towels, I just say thank you. And I, I try, I mean, I wave to construction workers. I, I, mean, I try to do this. And again, I mean, it's just silly. It's, in some ways, it's meaningless. And yet, I, I'm convinced these practices have changed me over the last few years. Building gratitude into your life will change you. So how are you building this practice in? You can ignore everything I just said. Those are just the things that, are, that I'm doing. But, but you need to find your own patterns to practice this discipline. And so maybe this week, make a plan. What's it going to look like for you? Even this afternoon, just take 10 minutes to reflect back and say thank you to God for five things that happened this week. So just start there. The Bible commands it. Science demonstrates it. Our experience confirms it. Gratitude is good for you. I may not be able to choose joy, but I can choose to say thank you. Okay, tell God what you need. Thank him for what he has done. And finally, think about what you're thinking about. Think about what you're thinking about. We don't do that very often, do we? We kind of let whatever enters our brain, whether of our own volition or the people around us, we just kind of let it go in sort of a, as a passive experience. But Paul's really clear here that we should think about what we're thinking about. Like how much time do we spend filling our minds with that which makes us miserable? Because let's, let's keep reading, right? Paul continues, verse, verse eight. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is, is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What Paul is saying there is what we fill our minds with has a direct impact on our joy. And we may not be able to choose joy, but we, can, we, can, we have some choice over what we put in, of where we allow our minds to wander. And so when you turn on the news, or go to social media, Netflix, or hang out with certain friends, or frankly, even the quiet of your own mind when you're alone, ask yourself, is it true? We don't like truth anymore, do we? And I don't, that's not like a statement about them somewhere out there. That's just, that's us. Like if I don't like it, it must not be true, right? That's kind of how we approach things. And if I really like something, it must be true. But that's, that's not us. That's not who, what we, is it true? Not, not is it a conspiracy? Not is it a rumor, right? Not, not something based on a false ideology. Not simply what's popular or feels good. Even if we don't like the results, is it true? Is it honorable? Like, is it, is it worthy of my respect, my attention, worth my time? Is it just 
or right? Does it lead to justice and righteousness? Is it pure or innocent? Is it lovely, pleasing, beautiful, worthy of my affection? Is it commendable? Like, is it worth recommending to others? Is it excellent or virtuous? Is it worthy of praise, like celebrating? If you answered yes, then think about those things. And if you answered no, then stop. Like, don't, don't do that. And I, and I realize, like, we have to live in the real world. I know that. And there's, there's bad things in our world, right? We can't just hide our heads in the sands. But you and I have access to way more information and entertainment than humans were ever meant to have. We're not meant to be God, but we try to be God. We, we feel like we have to know everything. We have to experience everything. You were never meant to handle that much bad news. You have to limit it. So a couple months ago, I deleted my news app off my phone. I just couldn't do it anymore. Couldn't do it. It's like that, it was like a compulsion. I'd go there when I was bored or I'd just check and I'd just scroll through the headlines, right? It's like, I can't do it. Is it true? Honorable, just, pure, hardly, right? And listen, what I'm about to say is going to freak some of you out. To others of you, maybe it'll be a place of real freedom, but you don't have to know about every bad thing that happens. Do you know that? God does. That's God's job. You don't have to know about every terrible thing in our world. God knows, and he is in charge. Not you. You can't do anything about most of it anyway. And again, don't hide in the sand. And so I, I get two emails a day from two different sources that kind of give me a summary of both local and national and global news. That's, that's it. And then I, I read those. I put them away. I pray as needed. And I let God be God. It's his job anyway, not mine. Social media. Whew. I took those off my phone too. Lovely, commendable, uh, excellent, worthy of praise. Not very often. It's just not worth it. I can still go to those places on my computer, right? But now I have to do it on purpose. Does that make sense? It's like, again, on the phone, it's just like, I'm just, I don't, how did I even get here? You know, you just, 30 minutes later, you don't even know where you are anymore, right? Now I have to do it on purpose. Because I, I just, I don't want to fill my mind with that stuff anymore. Netflix and entertainment. Now listen, I love, I love dark TV shows and movies. I love them. But is it just me or is like everything getting darker? Or am I just getting old? Maybe that's what it is. I don't know what it is. Right? Or it feels like that's all they make anymore. And there, there are times I just have to say, like, I want to watch this, but it is not going to lead to my joy. And so I'm, I'm just not going to because I would rather choose avenues that lead to my joy. But here, here's the deal, church. So the way I've kind of approached this list is like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But actually what Paul is saying, is all positive. He's not saying not to do anything. He's just, he's giving us an avenue of where do we put our attention? Where do we put our affections? The true, the good, the beautiful. Instead of spending mental energy on that which sucks the life out of you, give your time and attention to that which fills you. Friendship. Nature, art, beauty, good music, uplifting entertainment, laughter. It's harder to find these days. You have to do work to find good things. It's really easy to find the bad things. You have to do the work, but our joy is at stake. Think about what you're thinking about. So this week, take an audit of your inputs. 
Because you may not be able to choose joy. And I know we shouldn't limit everything, okay? But we have some control over what we put in. Choose what leads to joy. And if you do these three things, you'll never be anxious ever again. I know. It's ridiculous. Like, of course not. We live in a broken world. We're broken, right? We're going to go back to our old patterns so easily. It's not going to go away anytime soon. And yet, church, there is a promise attached. There's a promise and a person attached to each of these commands. And when we embrace these habits, God promises to give us peace. In the midst of our fears and anxieties, twice in these verses, did you see this? Look, look again, verse six, right? With thanksgiving, let your request be named to go, known to God. And what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says it again in verse eight. Think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard from me or seen in me, put, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. A peace that doesn't make any sense. A peace that will puzzle the people around you. A peace that we're starving for. But you know, church, this, this only makes sense because in many ways, everything I've just said could have gone in any, any self-help book, right? It's like, practice some mindfulness if you want to pray, fine. Practice gratitude. Like, anybody's telling, think about, like, these are normal. This is like just good, basic human advice, isn't it? And yet, like, why are these words so different? Why is this more than just a collection of better habits? Well, Paul told us at the beginning, how will this actually lead to our joy It's because of this promise, but it's because of the person as well. We look again at what what Paul said. He started this with, the Lord is at hand. Jesus is near. We we don't do these things in a vacuum. We don't just throw our prayers up at the ceiling. We don't just say, say, say thank you to practice positive thinking. We don't just think about what makes us feel good. Jesus is at our side He is with us. Joy is when someone is glad to be with you. It's been our definition from the very beginning of this series. Joy is always relational. And this isn't just a collection of better habits. These are the habits that practice the presence of Jesus. That remind you that he is always glad to be with you. That his face lights up when you come to him in prayer who will never walk out on you, which means you are safe. Even when everything in the world makes you afraid, this means you have all that you need, even when everything around you and within you says it's not enough. It means that there is something truly good and beautiful worth celebrating, even when our world feels so dark. This week I had an example, a couple examples actually, two different people that I got to spend some time with. Um, one is in a nursing home, a church family member of ours. She's, her body is failing. She's nearing the end of her days. Sweet lady. But she said, Nathan, the Lord is my shepherd. Or another, another family unrelated to this one that I also visited this week. Um, in the midst of incredible, insurmount, seemingly insurmountable health problems and difficulties. I said, Nathan, but the Lord is my refuge. Church, it's because God is near 
that we have hope, that there is peace. So practice telling God what you need. Practice thanking him for what he has done. And practice thinking about what you're thinking about. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need this. I need this. I'm not sure there's a person alive who isn't desperate for this kind of peace and joy. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd be near to us. Be near to us in our asking. Be near to us in our thanking. And God, would you be near to us in our thoughts that you are truly the good and the beautiful. Be near to us and give us your peace. And even as we come to your table now, Lord Jesus, I pray that this would be a spot where we get to take off our anxieties and put on your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.